welcome back to Grit. This week we are talking with esteemed photographer John Robertson, two times winner of the UK Press Photographer of the Year and regular contributor to The Telegraph, The Guardian and many national and international publications. In this episode we talk about the different spheres of photography, the role of the photographer and the mindsets needed to thrive. It was a great deep dive into John's adventures and many pearls of wisdom were divulged from having tea with terrorists to hunting dodgy police officers. Great, we're going to jump over to the East Midlands in the UK now to talk to John Robertson, uh, who is a established and esteemed photographer, actually winner of the UK Press Photographer twice. Is that right, John? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's a long time ago. <laughs> nice. And so you, you have you have a long and varied career with lots of fascinating stories about being a photographer in in a multitude of scenarios. So it'd be really it's really great to catch up with you. I suppose the first question is is like what what drew you into like I know it's a passion of yours as well as a job. So what kind of drew you into photography? How did you get started? Okay, I'm going to own up here. Yeah. It was a big mistake. Well, not a big mistake. It was a mistake how I got into it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Really weird how it happened. I mean. And basically, as a young lad, I'd always I'd always been interested in photography. When I was a six-year-old, right. I used to play around with my family's box brownie. At school, we had a um, my chemistry teacher was also ran the photography club, so I was into that. Right. So I was into photography, but I'd not really considered it as a career. What I was really hoping to do was to go into the Royal Air Force. Okay, I'd always been heavily into that. One of my favourite uncles was a, a chiefy at. Uh, the old uh, Dambusters Squadron 617 in uh, Scampton in Lincolnshire. Yeah. And uh, he'd been pulling strings and trying to get me into the RAF. And I got the, I was getting the AA levels lined up for that, uh, the science subjects like physics and stuff, and thought, well, I'd really like to get into that. And then what happened is, <laughs> one day when I was, uh, I think I was 15 years old, I was out on a walk and I, in my little village in rural Warwickshire where I lived, it was a remote, remote part of Warwickshire I suppose, I noticed that the village hall was on fire and that there were firemen all around. So I, I, it was well ablaze when I saw it. So I ran back home, good uh, thing to say here is that you should always carry a camera and of course at 15 years old you don't always carry a camera. No. I ran back home which was only, I don't know, 50 metres away. Grabbed my old uh, Zenith B camera, my first uh, SLR camera that my mum and dad had uh, bought me because I nagged so much about uh, <laughs> needing a, a decent camera. And I ran back with that and the, the one lens that I had, which was the 50mm Helios, 58mm or whatever it was, and the teleconverter. Pop, popped the two together and started taking pictures of the firemen there with the, the roof well ablaze. Nothing to do with me, I hasten to add. <laughs> I don't go around with a box of matches, or I didn't then. Yeah. Took some pictures. And at the time, I was heavily into, because of the school photography club and the chemistry teacher, I was heavily into developing my own uh, black and white pictures. So I, I developed the film in my mum and dad's bathroom, probably stained the tiles while I was doing it. <laughs> and uh, my grand just happened to be staying with me this day, <laughs> this particular day. And uh, she said, you should send that to the local paper, which is a fairly dire paper. It was a broadsheet in those days. And it was called the Ulster Chronicle and Redditch Indicator, uh, which I think is defunct a long time ago now. Right, yeah. And I was a bit shy. As a 15-year-old in a remote part of Warwickshire, I was quite a shy lad. Um, so I didn't really want to do that. I did sound it a bit, a bit scary going into the local paper. So I gave her the negatives, and she took them in. Needless to say, uh, it was a weekly paper. So sort of two days later, there... There appeared the paper through my dad's letterbox, so we had a look and I wasn't expecting anything, and there it was on the front page with a picture by 15-year-old John Robertson. I made the front page with my first ever <laughs> newspaper photo. Wow, nice. So, uh, yeah, so I, I thought, wow, wow, that's amazing, and 
they're paying me as well. I think it's something like three quid or something ridiculous. Right. And that was it. It was just like a nasty disease. I just became addicted to it after that. Right. You got the bug. Yeah. I got the bug and I forgot all about the REF. My uncle was extremely pissed off with me. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he wasn't best pleased because he'd put a yeah. lot of, lot of effort into helping me and decided I wanted to be a press photographer. I guess in, in some respects, the, the, the thought then came to me more because the, the uh, grammar school that I went to had a school sports day that, that uh, shortly afterwards. And one of the people who went there was uh, Johnny James, who's still a friend to this day, from the Birmingham Evening Mail. He came and covered the school sports day, and I thought, yeah, I could do that. I could do that as a job. That, that, that could work for me. It looks pretty nice. exciting. He's got all these wonderful cameras and lenses and things. I'd like to do that. And so, basically, as I say, I, I, that's how I got into it. It's almost by accident, really. Wow. And, and But maybe sometimes that's finding your passions and stuff. Maybe it shouldn't all be meticulously planned out and, and career-advised career and so forth. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that, that's the right way to fall into it. Possibly I'm not the world's greatest planner. See my wife for details. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just something I kind of went into, drifted into, if you like. It's, uh, that's how it happened. And, and, and so that then then sort of developed into press photography for for a paper on on job or did you go straight into freelancing or what what was the evolution of of kind of getting into the business in a more established way i guess yeah um well for me at the time there was um the national council for the training of journalists the nctj was the the british body that looked after getting people into journalism and training them mm. and they ran a a course uh, called the pre-entry Press photographers course at Wensbury in uh, near, near Wolverhampton, yeah. not a million miles from where I lived uh, near Stratford on Avon. So I applied to go on that. I was just sixteen, so I was just just reached their minimum age that I could join that, and uh, went for an interview with Bertie Johnson, who was the course leader and was the old chief photographer of the Express and Star newspaper in Wolverhampton. And I didn't think I did very well, to be honest. Uh, I, I thought, well, I'm probably not going to get in. There's only twelve places in the whole country. And uh, I thought I messed the interview up a bit. I, some of the questions, just I just couldn't really answer them. I didn't didn't know what to say. I was only sixteen. Right. But yeah, I got a I got an invite to go and um, join them in September and become a, a on the on the one year uh, pre entry press photography course. Then shipped off at the age of sixteen to uh, to Wensbury. Did that for a whole year, and it was it was uh, it was a good grounding, really, very good yeah. grounding. Um, yeah. The one year thing that I did included. Things like um, filmmaking, so we did filming with a, a Bewley R16, learning to right. edit, we did. Uh, we had our own CCTV studio, so one of the first in nice. the country, so I learned to, learned to do uh, video production, really quite laughably basic when you compare it with these days, I mean it was all these big tapes, but it had you know proper mixing yeah. desk and proper studio, we did the, sort of the college equivalent of question time nice yeah. we didn't have sir robin day there but we did a kind of a, a rough approximation so we did we did sort of college issues and things ironically i made it into the local paper and i've still got the snap somewhere <laughs> of me with the camera and uh, angus the producer and uh, somebody else the director we we're all students yeah doing that and then we also did uh, commercial photography so i learned all about how to use a gandolfi which is a strange sounding name for a camera but it's it's an old plate camera uh, so how right. to use how to use things like that? Basically, things like product photography. We did everything from photographing a tin of cherry blossom shoe polish to maybe going down the canal and interviewing some old geezer yeah. and photographing him on a large format with a with a big heavy tripod. Backbreaking stuff. 
<laughs> and and I suppose um, I mean, do you, do you think like as a photographer, and particularly as somebody who's up and coming as a photographer, what what do you think are the kind of core things people have to think? I, I, like the reason I ask that is so so many uh, students, I mean, they kind of fixate on the actual camera. And very rarely do I find myself having discussions with with this with the subjects and the thing. And I'm just wondering, particularly starting out as a press photographer, what kind of skill sets do you have to have as well as obviously the operational side? That's a, actually a really good question, and uh, I think I already mentioned I was a very shy uh, 16 year old, so not really very good with people. I hadn't got many people skills. I think that is probably the crux of it. Really, is people skills in anything in life? If you've got people skills they'll stand you in good stead, whatever you do. But as a photographer, you really need those skills. And I would say the camera and all the equipment and the gear is kind of like trinkets and jewellery, male jewellery, if you like, or female jewellery these days. And you need to concentrate less on the jewellery aspect right. and more on the people aspect. And I think that's something that I would certainly have fallen down on in those days. And I think the course that I went on would have taught me those some of those people skills is to actually stop and talk to people. Right. And people from all walks of life, you know... Um, one minute you can be talking to a, and this has happened to me in real life as well in, in the job. I, I've been talking to a tramp one day, and then the next day I've been talking to a high court judge who was worried about the plaster freezes on his stately home uh, <laughs> yeah. and was doing them all up himself. You know, the, the, the tramp was worried about where his next shelter was going to come from, where his next cigarette butt was going to come from. Yeah. And you, you've got to be able to really talk to the people, those people, and all the people in between, uh, in a way that engages them and makes them think that you're not just some horrible person who's come along to take advantage of them right so i think i think that is the thing that i would say is, is basically you've got to have people skills more the most important thing of the lot and i would concentrate more on those on, on showing empathy with people as well than the equipment no for sure and 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 i think like what a, a question that often comes up again with new photographers is obviously photographing people and, and in particular like in terms of press story and a lot of students now, and maybe it's just because it's in the zeitgeist more, get really worried about kind of privacy and ethics and invasion and really don't know how to kind of tackle that. What, what are your thoughts, particularly from like a press perspective and then from a more private perspective in terms of the issues around, you know, you're, you're capturing people on film and, and, and putting it out in the world? Sure. I mean, uh, to be fair, when I started, a lot of this wasn't so much in the public consciousness we would do all sorts yeah. of things that these days would probably not be frowned upon as such but you would be thinking very carefully about them right yeah and even on local papers we photograph school kids and nativities and things nowadays that's almost verboten in some schools it's, it's just not the way you do things i think that's a shame in a way we've lost some of that some of that kind of uh, not not naivety but some of that access to people and i think yeah the thing for me when I first started was, as I mentioned, I was really, really shy. So it really took a lot of bottled up kind of uh, getting over those inhibitions to talk to people. And I think you, that's the first thing that really that you've got to you've got to counter, that you've got to get over, is literally get over yourself. You're, you're, they're people just like you. It doesn't matter if you're talking to the Queen or if you're talking to, I don't know, some road sweeper or something. They're still people. They've got interesting yeah. lives, and they want to tell you about that. And you've got to get over yourself and, and talk to these people and stop thinking about yourself and, and, and worrying about things so much and, and what people will think of you. I mean, a, a really good 
thing about old age is that you don't care so much about these things as you get older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> you actually yeah, don't care yeah. what people think of you. Yeah. But I remember as a 16-year-old thinking, what will they think? And, you know, being really hung up about this. And I wish I had the benefit of what of what I, what I could uh, now say about it. Which I'd had that, right. that somebody come to me with with that wisdom and say, actually, don't worry so much about it. Just pitch in there, talk to people, don't talk down to people. You know, don't pretend to be something you're not. Just be honest. Honesty is yeah. the greatest thing, really. Um, just be honest and just be open and, and friendly. And and I suppose, like particularly when you're dealing with uh, may, maybe a more commercial photo shoot or a client photo shoot, that that interpersonal skill. Because sometimes, and tell, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel sometimes photographers get treated badly by some client, particularly PR clients. And so, like, so, so, is is there a delicate way of like being able to communicate with maybe sometimes some slightly prima donna types you get in marketing and and so forth or magazines? It's a difficult thing, really, especially as you say with commercial stuff um, and and some business types as well. They have they have in their own. A lot of people are in their own little bubble and they don't yeah. really. It sounds strange to say, but they don't really get out much. They don't get out of that bubble. Yeah. And uh, I've experienced this myself when when I first started. I remember these people talking to me, kind of talking down to me, really, because I was wearing a a navy, a purple coloured shirt. That's what it was. It was a purple shirt because I thought it was arty at the time. It was very arty. Yeah. So they criticised me for what I was wearing, and I didn't really know what to say to them, to be honest, because they were wearing suits and ties, and they, it was like a uniform. It's just like school uniform, really. And they were like the school bullies, if, if, you, if you want. Yeah. They, they kind of couldn't get it around in their heads that somebody else might be a bit different, might think differently to them, and that I'm not a business person. I wasn't a business person. I was a photographer, and I've been sent there to get pictures of them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I probably just ignored them at the time. I think the main thing is not to get angry about it. People, I think people don't understand other people. They're in their own yeah. little bubbles. They don't, they don't necessarily understand and it. Certainly as a press photographer, it's your job to understand other people and to bring that forward and, and, and shine a light on things. Whatever the person is, whatever they've done, whatever they're about to do, whatever, you're shining a light on that. And I think you need to, uh, you need to not get angry and, and not try and get even with people, but just, just present it as it is. Yeah, because I, I think um, it's, I suppose it's about having to have that antenna because you must, as you say, like literally go from one one situation to another, and how you respond to that and how you get the best out of people. And I suppose the the, the trick is, particularly when you're starting out, is actually getting to that point where you realise it's if somebody interacts with you in a bad way, uh, whether it be a celebrity, uh, a press sort of fo photo shoot or whatever, or or whether it, it, it's it's maybe. Uh, somebody in a, in a more dangerous situation or whatever it, it's often not about you it's about the situation or or uh about wherever their head is at and you have to kind of remain quite calm because you're there to capture it i guess yeah you're always in the the, the the heart of the situation i guess that's exactly right i mean um situational awareness is another thing i would say it's a very useful thing for a photographer any kind of photographer really to have and, and to know when to think well I'm taking pictures for a newspaper or a magazine or whatever or a commercial entity or a PR company, but there is a time when you put your, either put your camera down or put it away and you get the hell out of there. <laughs> that, yeah, has, yeah. that has happened to me. Um, 
you don't try and argue with some people. I've been um, chased by um, myself and a reporter have been chased by a pimp in Birmingham who wielded a knife. He objected very much to us taking pictures of his working girls on the street. Yeah, and uh, he chased after us with a big knife. Uh, well, in that situation, it's not really worth trying to argue with him. Best thing no. is to get the hell out of there, <laughs> get in your car, and uh, yeah, and get out of the way, which is what we did. And uh, I did actually, uh, we did a drive-by shooting of him shortly afterwards, but with a camera, not with a yeah, not with an yeah. automatic weapon. And uh, <laughs> so I suppose you could say we got our own back. Sometimes you just have to use the space between your ears to uh, to tell you that there's a dangerous situation developing. And I did used to get assaulted fairly often uh, on things. Um, another one I remember is we were doing a story about a guy who had pulled down the wing of a, uh, a listed building, 16th century listed building, and he'd, built, he'd, t- he'd torn this down and uh, he'd done it without planning permission. So I was with the, the next door neighbour and we were chatting about this and uh, we'd been doing pictures when this guy came along in his BMW and tried to run us off the the little narrow lane. So we jumped into the hedge and then there started an altercation between this guy, the neighbour, and, uh, and, and the, uh, the, the bad guy, as it were, that had just tried to run us over. He saw me taking pictures of this and he tried to grab the camera off me. I kind of in a very strange situation because I used to do martial arts and uh, they don't really train you for how to, what to do if somebody tries to grab a, grab a camera off you and you're holding an expensive camera and a brand new lens that you just bought. But the guy, and this is another thing about situational awareness, is the guy was very good at that himself because he realised when I was about to lump him with the camera and the very expensive lens and he let go, right. let go my other, other hand uh, and then he got back in his car and he drove off at speed. But yeah, so that, you know, that, that sort of thing can happen you, you can get uh, and you've got, sometimes you've got to talk yourself out of a situation as well. I mean I've been in a situation where I've had like 20 people uh, who were all um, drug addicts and uh, alcoholics right. and, and they were I was supposed to photograph them for a story for the, for the Guardian about crime in Nottingham. Right. And more and more of them kept coming in until there were about 20 of these people. And then they started started demanding money. Can we have some money? And I thought, well, this is getting very dangerous. I'm here on my own. The person that took me took me there had disappeared. The big lad with the big boots had disappeared. <laughs> yeah. So I said, oh, just, just hang on. I've, I've run out of film. I've got to get some more film. But don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And they fell for it. I, I disappeared, never came back. And uh, saw the lad with the big boots that had driven me in there and... Uh, he, he came in and tapped me on the shoulder and said, here I am. <laughs> I nearly jumped out of my skin. Yeah. But yeah, so that's a case of talking yourself out of, uh, getting yourself out of a situation that maybe uh, I should never have got in in the first place. I, I don't think that's particularly brave or clever of me. I, I was looking at some pictures uh, this week, actually, of Simon Townsley's, who I, I remember from his days when he worked for the Sunday Times. He, he now does right. stuff for the paper I work for, for the for the Telegraph. And he'd done some shots in uh, in Afghanistan of... of uh, I think it was about a thousand drug addicts underneath a flyover there, and it looked like a vision of hell. And he'd been told, "You'll get robbed. You'll get robbed. You know, people will people will attack you. They'll steal your cameras." But he, he carried on regardless. I think he was obviously nervous at the situation, but he talked to people. He got some amazing pictures, really amazing. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm not sure I'd have been that brave in that situation. <laughs> well, I, sp- I, I, I suppose what goes through your head. Like how how far is it? Like the photo is everything, or like like uh, the, the, the gradients of like personal safety, how important the photo is. Yeah, uh, personal safety is the thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Personal safety. It's no point getting the greatest picture in the world if you then get killed, or you know, mm. end up disabled or losing your eye or something. That, that would be absolutely pointless, really. You've got to live with that for the rest of your life. And similarly, I've also done things which I probably 
be criticised, and what probably was criticised at the time by other people. When I first started out on local papers, we used to do a lot of stuff with um, road accidents. We used to photograph road accidents, and I remember doing right. one where uh, it's quite a nasty one. It was in a dip, and uh, the people were all wandering around like headless chickens. So I grabbed hold of them, and I sat them down by the side of the road and went and helped so that there wasn't another accident. There very very nearly was another accident with some guys in a sports car that came in and didn't see the dip in the road and the, the accident further right. along. I helped out until the police came and the ambulance. And I've done that before, actually. I, I did that fairly recently on, a, on the way to a commercial job. Some young girl had a was very bad accident. There were lots of vehicles all smashed up, and some young girl was in a car screaming, get me out, get me out. So, you know, my first instinct... I'm a human first, a photographer second, yeah. and my first instinct was to go and help. She'd, she'd broken both her legs. We thought the car was on fire, so I thought I was going to have to get her out of there. There was all steam. It was actually steam coming off the, the front of it. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then I, I waited there until the paramedic came, and then later the um, the, the air ambulance uh, came and took her out. But, you know, you take the pictures after if, if you have to in those situations. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I'd be criticised by a lot of photographers for doing that, but I, I, I've got my personal conscience to deal with and personal safety as well. I, I think it's important. And, and is, is there a lot of pressure on, I suppose, particularly uh, photojournalists and press photographers from the papers on, like, get the shot, get the shot? Like, what kind of pressure is, is, is on people to, to get the coverage of, of, of scenarios and situations? Uh, well, of course, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm just a lowly freelance, and... Uh, the pressure must be even higher on a, an actual staff man, although there, there aren't many these days. Most right. people are like yeah. me, they're, they're regular freelancers. And, of course, when I first started, there were probably a lot less photographers than there are now. Now, now and this is part of the problem, is that everybody is a photographer, even Joe Soap on the street, Mr. Spriggs with his mobile phone. Yeah, Everybody is a photographer. So there's a massive pressure to, to, to get the, the work and get it out there. That's the other thing, is getting the work out. It's no good having the pictures if they're sat in your camera, they've got to be appear on a yeah. on a, uh, a picture desk, pretty much straight away, and and that's another thing where mobile phones have uh, have trumped most professional photographers now in that they're, they're, they're instant. You know, you can, and the public have cottoned onto this as well, of course, that that you can film something and uh, get it get it used or take a picture and get it used straight away. Yeah, and and, and so so as a freelancer, are you you're at the sort of beck and call of papers and like how, how would a normal day work for you in terms of do you get the call and and and, and go out or how, how does it how does the process work I suppose from getting the call to getting the picture to them yeah I suppose I'd say that there is no normal day <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no, no two days are the same I mean this last week I've shot video I've done a commercial job and uh, yesterday I was out photographing um, for the Guardian photographing in the middle of a forest on, on an exclusive job it was just us just, just me, basically, and the BBC uh, were allowed to to to, uh, to do the picture. It was um, baby red kite chicks being exported to Spain, which is where, right. from whence they'd come, basically, originally about 30 years ago, because the, the, the breeding of them is so successful over here, and they're dying off in Spain now. Uh, we've sort of right. re-exported. It's like Coles to Newcastle, if you like. So, obviously, because the, the animals are, are rare and they are a protected species, you can't just wall, wall, wallop in there and pointer lens straight in there and start snapping away so, yeah. so very, it was very much controlled the numbers were very much controlled and also what we could do that's uh, another good example of how how it works that i will get a phone call often yeah 
often it's the same day and sometimes it's even, you know, can you go and do it now? So you have to drop everything and go. Yeah. It's not a great thing for your social life. <laughs> you have to decide if you're going to uh, have a day off that you're going to have a day off. And, and if the phone rings, you just have to turn that work away and, and decide not to make the money. Yeah. If, if you don't work as a freelance, then you don't get any money. If you decide to take a holiday, unless it's a working holiday, then you don't get any money. If you have a day off sick, you don't feel too good, you don't get any money. So yeah. the pressure was always there to, to say, yes, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go and... And you take the rough with the smooth as well. I mean, not every job is a nice one, like yesterday with the chips. Sometimes maybe you've got to do what we call a, the dreaded doorstep, which is the photographer's favourite. We hate it. Yeah, Most people hate it. Some people love it. But you might be waiting outside somebody's house to... to, to snatch a picture of them somebody who's uh, some miscreant who's done something wrong and you've got to that's a real pressure job you've got to, you've got to wait outside it's not always easy because sometimes you can't do it from a car sometimes it's not a, a house that that where you can linger without being noticed so you know, yeah. it's 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 really difficult and not a great job and it, it, it could be long hours it can be from when it's light first light in the morning till when it gets uh, dark which these days is about uh, Half past nine, ten o'clock. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's, a, that's a long day, um, and uh, you know you might get at the end of it, you might get nothing. I mean, the one that I remember from that side of things is doing a doorstep of somebody, a, a policeman, who eventually was drummed out of the force. I spent two weeks getting him, and at the end of the two weeks of trying to get him, I finally got the picture. Uh, sort of did the charge of the light brigade and, and got him. Yeah, he was a policeman, so he knew. When he was being watched, a watcher knows when they're being watched. Same as photographers, you know, we, we tend to know when somebody's watching us. Right. Uh, and so he was a very difficult chap to get, but I did get him in the end. And then, of course, the worst thing about it was the, the story got legaled, didn't get used. <laughs> I did sell it to uh, a tabloid paper, so I kind of got two weeks' wages and the money for for selling it exclusively to the Daily Mirror. It shows you how long these things can take to, to get it. And the copper eventually was drummed out of the police force. Okay, cool. I won't see what he did. It wasn't very nice, particularly. Um, but yeah, you know, some of these stories can be quite unpleasant, and you're involved in them. Yeah, and I, and 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 how 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 do you how how does a somebody on the picture desk or or in a newspaper how, how do they have a bank of people, and how do, how are you on the bank of people to call? Like, do you have specialisms, or is it a rotational thing? How 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 does it work for kind of? Sending the jobs out to freelancers. I suppose I've got one answer to that, really, and that is turning up on time. Right. <laughs> I yeah. don't think I'm an especially wonderful photographer. I'm reliable. That's. I think that's why picture desks call me because they know that if they say we want you outside this court at eight in the morning, I'll be there at eight in the morning, probably earlier. Right. So yeah, I think reliability is, is the uh, is the key thing. Um, turning up. Just turning up is the, is the major thing. If, if you're not the kind of person who can get up early and uh, do what they say they're going to do, then there's no point really. Do something else. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. Like, it's something that I go on about so much because it was drilled into me by a BBC uh, a news crew uh, sound guy. Like he said, he would always say it's better to be an hour early than a minute late. Exactly right. And and. I constantly say to kind of students, they're like, oh, well, but it's only one minute past. And I know that the job started, and I cannot explain how crucial it is in a lot of fields that we work in, that time is, is so important. That's exactly right. I mean, um, I would say, you know, I, I, I'm normally, it's not always possible, but I'm a bit clockwise about it, like that film Clockwise with John Cleese. I will yeah. make sure, I'll do my utmost to get there on time and uh, often to try and get there early. 
uh, especially if it's a press pack job or something like that, where there's a lot of people there, I'll try and get in ahead and try and get something that they don't get. And, and equally, it's not always a good idea to be the last person to, uh, to uh, the first person to leave either. Sometimes yeah. things happen right at the end of a job that you couldn't possibly foresee. Um, I'll give you an example of that. I spent a whole day at Henley Royal Regatta. It's a hot job, lots of crowds, lots of idiots, <laughs> people in blazers. <laughs> You've got to go up and down the riverbank. And uh, it is very tiring physically, dragging a load of cameras and trying to find pictures. I mean, yeah, yeah you can get some great pictures, but uh, it's also very restrictive. You know, there's certain areas you can't go into. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd done all that, and I'd got, got some nice pictures. And I, on the way back, I saw this um, this group of people. It looked a bit like Cartier-Bresson's picture of a uh, picnic on the banks of the Marne. I don't know if people remember that. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's lovely, but there are no boats in the background. What a shame. They're all there in their straw boaters, and they've got the, the uh, champagne in hampers and the strawberries and cream and everything all on the bank there. It looked wonderful. I took a picture. I took a snap, but that's all it was. It was a snap. There were no boats. There were no races at the time. They were having their lunch. It was a quiet time. And I thought, that's a shame, that's a lovely picture, but it never happened. And then I walked all the way back, about half a mile back to uh, the main area where uh, my car was parked. And on the way there, I got nearly back and saw a gondola going the opposite way, back towards where these people uh, had been having their picnic. And I thought, really? <laughs> I've got to do it. I've got no choice. Yeah. You know, As a photographer, uh, if you want to get that snap, you've got no choice. So I ran all the way back, and I was completely breathless by the time I got back. These people hadn't even noticed this breathless uh, Hulk in, uh, behind them while they were sat <laughs> watching this gondola. And I snapped off three pictures, and one of them was just perfect. It was just a picnic on the banks of the Thames. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it got wow. used in the paper, and they thought it was wonderful. Um, I mean, that's actually happened to me a couple of times at Henley. Another time I noticed that these guys were uh, guys, with guys and girls uh, were all rather drunk. They'd been on the champagne. I think they were students, and they were part of a boat crew. And they were messing about and rocking this boat up and down. And the guy was stood there with his champagne bottle, and I thought, this could get interesting. So, uh, this was, again, this was near the end of the job. I'd, I'd had enough by then. And uh, they started rocking the boat, and then suddenly the, the boat went over, and the guy went with it, and he went down like a scalibur, but holding the bottle of champagne to the very last. <laughs> and then with his hat floating <laughs> yeah. on the surface of the... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Floating on the surface of the Thames, and... Uh, I'd shot the whole thing very quickly on a motor drive, motor-driven camera. So, uh, yeah, the paper ran that as a sequence. It was just like, hooray, Henry's having fun at Henley. And it worked yeah. really well. And again, you know, I couldn't possibly have foreseen that that would happen towards the end of the shoot. So no. I'm always very wary of uh, going too soon off a shoot. I mean, these days the pressure is much higher on you because you, you've got to get back and you've got to wire the pictures. Uh, you know, unless yeah. you've got facilities to wire from, from the camera, you... you you want to get back to your computer or wherever, whatever, and, and get get something off to the to the paper. And and do you, you do you always like um, deal with putting directly to to the newspapers, or do you also then also put it out on the open marketplace of, of, of picture data? No, I mean basically, um, I'm a regular freelance for the papers that I work for, and uh, yeah. if they've commissioned you, which yeah. is the thing, I don't do a lot of on spec stuff these days. I used to, but I don't these days. On spec is really where you start off. Commissioned is you know. You need to be able to, to, to know that you're going to get that income yeah. when, when you've got commitments like you know mortgage and a car to pay for and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, if I've commissioned to do a job, then obviously they have first first go at it, and then after that, 
once they've published or decided not to publish and I've checked with them that that's okay, then I can sell it on and I often do, that does ha- happen quite often. Yeah, and are there any sort of preferred, because I get asked this by students all the time, what, what are the preferred sp- sort of online spaces, etc., to, to sell photography, particularly press photography or, or, or just generally images that you have? Is there a, What are your preferred platforms for? Um, well, basically... Or services, yeah. Yeah, there, there are lots of different ones. I mean... Uh, the big one is something like Alamy Live News. Which, yeah. To be honest, those those days are pretty much. I mean, you're not going to get much money doing that. It's not. No. It's not going to work very well for you. Uh, or you could work for Shutterstock or something like that. But but they're they're, they're not going to make you a lot of money. That's no. the problem. Far better to make a relate form a relationship with a newspaper, or a magazine, or whatever. Really, form a relationship. Talk to people. Phone them up. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to phone them up because these people. They are just like you and me. They're they're humans. Well, most of them yeah. are. Some of them aren't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and and go and see them, and if, if possible, and uh, show them your work, and say what you'd like to do, and form a relationship. Is my advice, which is pretty much what I did. I formed a relationship with the, with the Guardian, yeah. and also with the Telegraph by going to see them and pestering them with lots of lots of work, lots of stuff that I did off my own bat. To be honest with the, with the Guardian, that took me two years. Right. It turned out that. The, the guy who I kept pestering and taking the pictures to, he, he would say, nice work, son, nice work. Pity we can't use it. And that used to be really, it's like damning you with faint praise. Yeah. But in the end, what he said one, one day was, uh, nice work, son, pity we can't use it. But actually, why don't you come and show this to the new guy who takes over from me next week? And that's what I did, and it went from there, basically. So it took me two whole years of rejections. Right. And I was pretty much ready to give up by then, if I'm honest I thought two years is it's, it's a lot of lot of my time, a lot of my spare time, uh, and a lot of effort. Yeah. But I think that it proves quite nicely that you should never give up. That you should try and form personal relationships with people mm-hmm. wherever possible, rather than just rely on some outlet or some agency or somebody else to do it for you, because they're going to take their cut. They are going to want to make money out of it just as much as you want to uh, get published. Well, and, and that I suppose that then leads on to the ultimate earning money on your work. Is it, and people are always asking me, what, what, what's the view on Instagram and how, how Instagram should or shouldn't be used by professional photographers? Does it help? Does it not? What are, you, what are your views on the Instagram <laughs> world? It's an interesting one, uh, especially yeah. seeing as Instagram were taken over by Facebook and, and also this business of uh, you know newspapers using anything that you publish on there willy-nilly without your say-so. I actually have a disclaimer on mine that says, do not use my pictures without uh, consulting me. It's not... Their use on here doesn't constitute my permission for you to yeah. use them. Uh, yeah. I don't think that would stop anybody, to be honest, uh, and certainly not papers like the Daily Mail uh, would, would yeah. carry on and, and use them regardless. And they do, of course. They use all sorts of stuff. They just lift it straight off because it's seen as being yeah. in the public domain. Well, there's an answer to that, and the simple answer is if there's something you don't want somebody lifting off Instagram or Facebook or anywhere else, don't put it on there. So I tend to use my own Instagram um, for strange things that I see when I'm out and about rather than actual jobs, um, I, will, I will put some stuff on there. And I think people do notice it. It's part of a kind of a package, if you like, of, of your visual awareness, because you could be the greatest photographer in the world. You could be the most superb photographer yeah. that anybody has ever seen. But if nobody ever sees your work, and they don't know about you, and you're sat in some little place, I don't know, wherever, nobody is ever going to 
publish your pictures. They're never you're just not yeah. going to get noticed. So you're going to need to use every every trick in the book to get noticed. And Instagram is one of those tricks in the book. Unfortunately, you don't have to put your best work on there, or you, you don't have to put everything that you shoot on there. You know, shoot something specifically for it. Yeah. Uh, so some things that I will shoot for it are funny things that I see. I've got one I'm about to publish now, actually, which is something that I saw uh, on yesterday's job. Um, on the way on the way to yesterday's job, I, I stopped over and I just saw this thing and I thought, I'm putting that on. And it was a really stupid thing, really. It was just a, a post with three holes drilled in it and they looked like eyes and a mouth and it looked like a shocked person. <laughs> a person okay, yeah, a yeah, person yeah, who yeah. was really shocked. Uh, and I'm going to put that on my Instagram tomorrow. And uh, yeah, it's uh, at John Watts Robertson if anybody wants to take a look at that and, and have a nice. good laugh because it made me laugh. It made me chuckle. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that I'll put on there and share. Yeah, I do sometimes put my work on there, usually when it's been published. And certainly commercial work, you can hardly ever put it on. Some some of it is of a sensitive nature. So if you're working for, say, a defence company, they're not going to be very happy if they see their work published on Instagram. So, again, you have to use that space between the grey space between your ears, and it should be a, uh, an awareness thing, a, a sensible thing, a common sense thing, really, about what you put on there and what you leave off. Yeah, yeah. If you've got if you've got nothing good to put on there, go out and take something. Just sh- show a bit of your personality on there. I suppose what 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 would you say about like how important is the 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 sort of web page portfolio as as your sort of business front? I suppose. How, what are your thoughts on the, on on that? I think it's pretty important, and I probably get quite a bit of work that way by people. Certainly, they might have a job in this area, and they'll look at photographers in the area, and if they come across your web page and you've got good work on there, why wouldn't they use you? Go for the person with the best portfolio, really. Uh, it doesn't always work like that. Of course, a lot of people work on price these days, uh, purely on price. Yeah. I would also be wary of all the marketeers that tell you that they can get your website on the number one page of Google. <laughs> they all say that. Um, I'm not sure they can. SEO is very important. Do it yourself or do it with somebody that you trust and don't expect to be on the first page of Google. You can be on it one day and then not on it the next day. I don't think that's the be-all and end-all anyway, really. Certainly, only put your best work on on your website. Don't put stuff on that you personally like and that you know that you went to a lot of effort for because it it may not be the best work to be seen, if you you see what I mean. And maybe get other people's advice on on what they think about... uh, what pictures you should put on and and how important do you think it is nowadays for photography because you you talked about uh, being trained in 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 film and, and editing how important is it to work with video as well as, as as stills well i get asked this question a lot and i think i was just lucky in that i learned to tell a story uh, when i was at college i learned and that's what mm. video is basically it's learning to tell a story it's not a series of disjointed still images which is what a lot of photographers mm. They make that mistake. If you can tell a story, it, it doesn't really matter what medium you use. You could use a piece of charcoal and a, and a piece of paper to yeah. tell that story. So the first thing to do is to learn to tell a story, then learn your video techniques. Um, that's that's what you need to do. And I think it's very important. I get asked a lot of times by people who don't do video, uh, what should I do? How can I get into it? What should I learn? And I always say, well, the main right. thing first is to learn to tell a story. And, you don't need anything to do that, really. You can, well, you, you could just literally turn your TV on and watch, watch and learn yeah. from that. Watch a drama series. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about EastEnders. <laughs> I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm talking about a, a decent drama or, or a decent TV TV series, and, and just see how it's produced. Something that people say is, is really good TV, 
and has good, yeah. good photography in it and stuff and, and see how it's cut together so you can see how they do it you can learn a lot yeah. from that how to tell a story yeah yeah no 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 definitely and i think i think that Actually, everything is almost driven by story now more 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 than ever, uh, and particularly in not just textual. I suppose we've 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 moved into an era where there's a lot more audio and visual storytelling than there was maybe twenty years ago. So it, it becomes prevalent. That's exactly right, and I think that the, the thing is, uh, when I first started, it was film. Uh, I actually had mm. my own um, sixteen millimeter film camera, a uh, Bolex H sixteen. Uh, and it was heavy, and it was hard to use. The film quality wasn't great. It was grainy. It was very expensive to get the film uh, and to get yeah. it developed. I developed my own 16mm cine film. These days, the equipment is so much better. You can go out, and you don't have to spend a great fortune to get good stuff. There's a lot more advice. No. You can even learn how to use it from things like YouTube on the Internet. You, know, you don't, don't actually have to go to film school or anything. You can learn how yeah. to use it yourself. But unless you know that you have a rough idea of how to tell a story and, and, and think about it carefully, your videos are not going to be much good. I think I think that the, I, I see a lot of online, particularly particularly people starting out. They keep going on about like if I have this bit of kit, if I have this slider, if I have this this uh, gimbal, it will make me a better. What, what are your thoughts on like do certain bits of kit make you better or is it like you're a good photographer if, with a pinhole camera? You know, it, like what, what what's your thoughts on kind of? My thoughts are that you, if you're a good photographer or a good uh, video person, you'll be good, yeah. whatever you use, because you're working within the limitations of that gear. Yeah. No, a gimbal won't make you a great photographer. It will stabilize your shots if you balanced it correctly. It's a pain in the ass to use, probably, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if for some things, obviously, if you don't have the bit of kit, then you're not going to be able to do it. You're never going to be a great, the greatest bird photographer in the world if you don't have a long lens. You know, you, 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 yeah, yeah. you can do do what you can within the limitations of what you've got. I've got a good example of that. I mean, um, years ago, I, I was freelancing for the Guardian, and they wanted me to do a piece about frogs. There were uh, even the common frog, uh, Rhina temporaria, was becoming very rare in this country because the habitat was was disappearing. So they asked me if I could photograph some, and uh, I said, yeah, sure. And uh, I turned up at a wildlife place where they've got frogs in a pond, and I've got no macro lens. What do you do? You can't get close enough with an ordinary lens. So I literally held the 50mm lens backwards on the film camera body and shot for two hours like this. So you can imagine that by the end of that time, my hands were shaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really, really worn out. But I managed to get the shot. The frog finally did what it did when I came into the to the pond and saw it. They do this thing where they nose up to a reed. And it did that, and its reflection was perfect underneath it. And ching, I got the shot. But I got it, nice. despite all the, the limitations of kit, you know, despite all that, really. Yeah. I told uh, Eamon McCabe this. He was the editor of the, uh, the Guardian at the time. And he thought it was hilarious that I didn't have a macro <laughs> lens and that uh, I'd, I'd been able to uh, circumvent that basically by using a bit of uh, a bit of know-how yeah 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 literally holding the lens on manually i mean you can buy reversing yeah. <laughs> rings these days but i didn't have one of those either so you know you should never say never um, you should always no. try your best whatever whatever circumstances you find yourself in if you don't have that bit of kit try and do it anyway do, do it a different way learn a different way you know you, you don't have to i mean if you haven't got a drone maybe put your camera up on a big pole 
uh, I've done that before now and, uh, and hold it up aloft and uh, you know try it with a wireless remote or something. I, I, yeah, I've put a camera in a basket and then uh, flown like a hot air balloon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pre pre drone. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's, yeah. there are ways around, and um, just because you don't have all the gear like a slider and stuff. You can make your own slider actually uh, quite cheaply if, yeah. if if you look on the internet. There's ways of doing it. There's all sorts of clever workarounds if you can't afford all this kit. Then if mm. if you can't afford all this kit, and that's the thing. I I'm, I'm from a working class family. I never had loads of money. I remember being at college. Some of the we had to bring our own cameras. I had a Zenith B and was sneered at. Uh, another lad right. who ended up working for the tabloids, uh, a really really good photographer, much better than me. He had a Zenith as well, and he got sneered at. And the guy who was sneered at him had all the latest kit, uh, Nikon stuff, you know, got a right, rich yeah. mum and dad and all the cameras and everything. But it didn't automatically follow that his results would, would be that much better. They weren't, um, because he, yeah. he may have had all the kit, but he didn't have that uh, imagination, that eye for a picture. If you've got an eye for a picture and you've got an imagination and you, you, and you tell a story, you want to come back with a great picture doesn't really matter about the camera. Yeah, you can use a pinhole camera, you know, if you have to. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I would say, you know, and I've seen some, some brilliant pictures taken by people with, with very minimalist equipment. Another example, um, I remember going to a job at the uh, the Hurlingham Club in London. Um, I think they've got some fancy cars there or something. And I was photographing there and I met Jodie Cobb uh, from National Geographic and we got chatting and she actually photographed me for the article as well. I didn't make it into the paper because I think my face was too <laughs> ugly, basically. But yeah, she got me reflected in one of the old cars. Yeah. And I, I was watching what she used, and she had gear that was nowhere near as good as the gear that I was using. It was, I mean, I think I had Nikon gear. She had Nikon gear, but she didn't have a, 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 as good a Nikon camera. She had the F4 zoom lens instead of the 2.8 zoom lens. And yet, you look at the results of the, the work that she had, and the difference is... She may not have had all the latest and super top-line gear, but she had an eye and an imagination yeah. and that, that, that ability to, to tell a story. Uh, that's far more important than the kit, really. Uh, the kit helps, and some things you really can't do without the kit. But mostly, I'd say, uh, try and improvise, and if you can't afford stuff, find workarounds. Uh, it's, not, yeah. it's not about the kit. It's about your eye and your unique perspective on the world, your unique eye on the world. And everybody's unique. You can send 30 photographers on a job and they'll all come back with something different. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And I think that's a really important point, yeah. The year that I got um, Photographer of the Year, and it is a long time ago. <laughs> uh, people will say, what's he done since? Uh, one of the things I did, I, I went to, uh, I got sent, my local paper I was a staffer for, evening paper, uh, um denard and um denard and um denard about sending me on this job. And in the end, we went anyway, because I thought, well, me and another photographer went anyway. Uh, and it was Kegworth, the um, Boeing 737, I think it was, that crashed right. oh, on wow. the motorway. Basically, yeah. what happened is the pilot turned the wrong engine off. We ended up with, with two Duff engines and glided in and didn't quite make it onto the runway and smacked into the side of the motorway. Wow. Split yeah. the aircraft in two. Uh, I got there early and tried to find my way there because it was the usual police thing of them being very obstructive. They... they, they You've got to be fair to them, them and the emergency services. The important thing is not to let a photographer go and take pictures. It's to get the people yeah. uh, away to hospital um, yeah, yeah. and sort out sort out the situation and, and, and sort out the dangerous situation, really. So, yeah, um, eventually, by the time I got back there, um, there were hundreds and hundreds of photographers lining the banks of the motorway. They'd been let in 
while I was going across the fields trying to find a way in. So I was sort of late to the party and I got some pictures and then I went down to where I saw these firemen and they were some of them were looking at where the plane had come from and some of them were, were looking at where it had ended up and they sort of had this incredulous look on their faces and I just noticed this uh, and I got this picture of the, the wheel of the undercarriage wheel wedged in the central reservation of the motorway and these firemen looking at the plane with the plane in the background and where it had come from on the other and it just made a great picture I noticed it I took it and then several other people cottoned on and tried to take it but it was too late because these things are a fleeting instant really you don't have a yeah. lot of time to get them uh, I was very lucky in that I had Canon's 85mm 1.2 I think lens at the time so I was able to shoot in, in very dark conditions and still pick up some detail and it, basically the, the picture was part of the portfolio that, that won for me because it showed the emotion of the mm. situation and uh, you know you could stand back and take it general views like all these other hundreds of photographers and I did the same as well but ultimately if you've got something that shows a bit of emotion and uh, encapsulates the what's actually happening there mm. then yeah you know you're you're, uh, you're going to beat them every time nice nice and i suppose in in the in the fullness of your career do you have do you have a favorite moment or a favorite favorite photo photograph or or situation that you've been in well um yeah i suppose so i've got quite quite a few i suppose over the times i mean, uh, I mean uh, one of the uh, going back to what we were just saying one of the ones yeah. i do remember is uh when, uh, in fact, that's from the from the same portfolio, is uh, when Gorbachev and Thatcher, when Gorbachev visited Britain, uh, visited England in uh, 1989, yeah. he stood in 10 Downing Street outside 10 Downing Street with uh, Margaret Thatcher and Dennis watching right. as she gave her speech. And I remember being really uh, getting the bums rush because I live up north. By the time I got there, the other photographers had all penned their stepladders and things in, and you know I'd, I'd kind of missed out. But because I got that position, I was able to get Dennis in the shot as well, which a lot of photographers couldn't. Right. And uh, I noticed, I just noticed him sort of half look at his watch, and I thought, that's interesting. He might do that again. So I kept a few frames back. And then when he did it again, he actually lifted his watch right up and looked at it. So he's like looking at Kremlin time, as if okay, he wasn't yeah. really interested. It's kind of <laughs> as if he wasn't really interested in what, what Margaret Thatcher was saying. She's smiling and talking at the same time. Dennis is looking at him. The devil is he doing? And uh, I, I snapped off three snaps, and one of them was just perfect. And all I could hear around me at the time was, "Oh no!" They, all the other photographers had missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I think one, right. one or two, one or two did get it. I think Martin Arkles from the Guardian got it. Right. But yeah, uh, a, a lot of photographers had just missed the moment. They hadn't noticed. They hadn't noticed the initial looking at his, his wrist, and they hadn't anticipated what might happen next. And that's right. part of a. Part of what I do is um, having the eye and, and, and the anticipation. Certainly, sports photographers have, will, will tell you that this is a big thing: anticipation, of what might come next, what might happen next. Yeah. So that's another one. Um, one of the, one of my favourites was uh, a, a shoot I did for the Observer, which was over three days, and that was uh, to photograph the Alhambra <laughs> nice. and uh, Sierra Nevada mountains for a, a travel piece for the Observer, and that was just fantastic. It was wonderful. I've never done a job like it before or since. They put us in a lovely hotel, and the um, the local tourist board had the Spanish tourist board had arranged for us to be chauffeur driven around myself and the reporter in a limousine. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> literally, yeah, yeah. literally. So up the Sierra Nevada in a limousine, and uh, uh, yeah, around to the Alhambra Ambra um, and back in a limousine, uh, and it, it was just amazing. It really was. Uh, it's a fantastic place to visit, and it was uh, okay. 
it's a very privileged thing to be able to go and do that as a job. And what I would say is that, you know, it wasn't a holiday. It wasn't um, like people think. It, although it was, I felt very privileged, you've also got the pressure of, mm. of getting, getting stuff done in the time. Yeah. But you can still enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was quite a frenzied, uh, frenzied trip, but it was still enjoyable. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the things that I really, one of the jobs I always remember, like uh, we, we went to one of the restaurants overlooking the Alhambra and had a fantastic, uh, fantastic Spanish meal, tapas and things, and uh, one of the best restaurants, and one that tourists often wouldn't see. It was in kind of a little gated, uh, gated restaurant that only the locals seemed to know about. Um, so things like that. Um, sometimes you're very privileged in, in this job to uh, be able to do things like that and meet people that you wouldn't normally and do 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 amazing things uh, i mean i've flown with uh, i've flown with, with a, a famous pilot in a, a pit special and uh, okay i didn't feel too good afterwards but uh, <laughs> it was pretty fantastic when he was uh, starting off doing the turns and things in it it just felt like being strapped into a rocket basically wow and that, but that's the thing isn't it it's just like what a great job to just like go through life and have all of these experiences. Like, we've only got a short period of time on this planet, so to have all of those experiences and yeah, I think that's the thing. As a photographer, you're not going to be fan- fabulously wealthy. Uh, that's the first thing you need to realise. Um, yeah, it's not going to just not gonna, probably probably not going to happen. You, you know, you might get lucky. Some people have, but I think generally speaking, I'm not uh, fabulously wealthy, and it's not going to happen. Uh, but you will have some amazing experience and you should enjoy it along the way not all jobs are like that some people hate their jobs and <laughs> exactly exactly i think uh having the experience of life rather than having a pot of money at the end of it may be more important and uh which i'm, I'm conscious that the, the, the sort of hour is almost up not that it's uh, sure, psych- yeah. not that not that it's psychotherapy it makes it sound like, like that when you say an hour but um i'm I'm, I, I need to hear the story about uh, having tea with terrorists because I, I'm, oh, I'm fascinated yes. by some of your quirk, uh, quirkier moments and so forth. This is yeah. mentioned on my website, uh, yeah. actually, on the About page, that I've, yeah. I've chased baby crocodiles and uh, had tea with terrorists and flown with an RAF fighter pilot, uh, but not all on the same day. The tea <laughs> with terrorists one is a, is a funny one because uh, just basically what happened with that is uh, I was working with... Uh, quite a famous reporter now he actually works with panorama now but at the time he worked for the telegraph and we were sent to photograph some kashmiri uh, sectorists who'd come to birmingham we were sort of laughing about it and saying yeah right they're going to invite us in for tea and tea and uh, sandwiches not it's not going to happen you know we're not going to get them and what happened is they did invite us in for chai and samosas (laughs) <laughs> and then they, they, they chatted to the reporter and then they posed heroically. So I've got these heroic, heroic lit portraits of these, uh, well, I, I suppose we would have called them terrorists because they were deported shortly afterwards. Some people would call them heroes. You know, what is a terrorist? Yeah. One person's terrorist is another person's hero, another, another person's freedom fighter. So, yeah, uh, they were deported afterwards. Um, but, yeah, I've got heroic posed pictures of Kashmiri terrorists. So they were separatists. They wanted a separate state. So... That's that's the story on that one. Oh, cool, cool. And and if you were to give uh, sort of parting wisdom, as you you, you know you, you've you've had all of these experiences, what wisdom would you would you give to somebody who is starting out and, th- and wanting to be a sort of press photographer and so forth, or or a commercial photographer? Somebody once said, "Get a good pair of shoes," and that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of ankle support, big boots. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, I would say. Trust yourself, trust your instincts, don't be shy with people. Even if you are shy, you know, try and hide it and, and just get in there. Uh, don't be hung up on the equipment and the gear uh, and all the trinkets of, of, of photography. 
it's it's like fishermen, you know, with their flies and the fly fishing and the, and the things that they're using, which rod to use. Yeah. Don't get hung up on all of that. It's just a tool. Learn to use what you have available. And most of all, always do your best. Give it your best shot. Literally give it your best shot. You really need to, to try and make everything that you do as good as you possibly can, the best you can possibly produce. Yeah. Uh, and the way I do that is I just basically look at it and think, treat every job as if I was doing it as a portfolio job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I want I want those pictures in my portfolio. I want them on my website. I want them to look good. Yeah. It doesn't always work. Sometimes circumstances prevent that, and you, you, don't, you don't actually get that uh, the greatest shots. And sometimes it just even the most appealing sounding job, even the most uh, wonderful sounding job, just turns to rubbish in the end it just just disintegrates and in, in, in the reality of the fact but yeah always try your best whatever however simple the job however however unappealing it may sound you'd be amazed how many jobs i've had that didn't sound very promising and actually came out with some really nice pictures from it so give it your best shot every time excellent thank you so much for your time john um i will be i'll put a link to your to your website in the description on the podcast so if people can come go and have a look at your work or get in contact and uh, thank you so much for your time it's been a wonderful conversation um not tea with terrorists but tea tea with two to uh uh sort of uh, east east england guys yeah. chatting, chatting away Why not? nice nice <laughs> lovely thank thanks you so much. much for your time cheers john thank cheers you. mate bye, now. bye. Bet on myself and I proved it. I know the industry ruthless. I'm really a threat for nuisance. The Chevy a dropping is ruthless. Think I'm the one and I proved it. I know the industry foolish. Think we're seeing the movies. It really ain't dropping out of coolness. Look at me struggling right on.